You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. You know, he and Ramona do so much uh, to serve in the kingdom of God. They, uh, they do so much with our kids, and I know my kids are a beneficiary of their service. Um, and Owen, obviously, you know, the Bible says that physical training is of some value. And if you've ever seen Owen in physical training, it is something to behold. Uh, he, he's uh, older than me, but I, he, I saw him with my older son do a basketball camp. He was running up and down the basketball court nonstop for four hours for five days in a row, and he was still able to get out of bed in the morning. So it's amazing. He had a hard time getting out of bed, he said, but he was able to do it. So that guy is amazing. So thank you, Owen. Uh, my name is Mark Steberg, and if you're a first-time guest to South Bay Church, we welcome you. We're glad you're here. Uh, please be sure, as I always remind our guests, to stop by our guest services table right outside here. We do have a gift for you if you're a first-time guest. And sometimes the people working out there feel like the Maytag repairman. They're just waiting for somebody to like, come, come visit them. So please stop by and say hi and uh, check in. If you want to fill out a connection card, we can get you connected with our church. where We divide up into smaller groups. We call them mission point groups. And they're based in communities, and we'd love to get you tied into one of those. So we're uh, continuing our sermon series uh, today that we've called Mythbusters. And I have no clicker today. So I'm going to have to give hand signals to Fidel on when to, when to uh, I can't even see what slide are we on. I'm going to have to turn around. So yeah, that's the right slide. So yeah, this ser sermon series has been really good. I mean, we've covered a number of topics so far. So far, we've talked about the cosmic cop myth. We've talked about the myth of American religion. The myth of the pink plastic pansy Jesus that Brian talked about last week at Seaside Lagoon. And if you missed any of those sermons, you can go out to our South Bay Church app, which you can download from, from iTunes if you don't have that. And you can listen to any of our past sermons on there. And also, there's a note section of the app, and you'll find notes for today's sermon there as well. And this morning, I'm going to be addressing another uh, misconception, I would say, or myth that's pretty common in our culture today. We often hear people say, my faith... It's a personal thing. It's between me and God. It's personal. And I, I was meeting with Steve and Jackie this week, and I mentioned this was the topic I was preaching on. And Steve started singing a Depeche Mode song from the 80s. And for those of you that um, know that song, your own personal Jesus. You know that song? We're dating ourselves? Yeah, the kids are like, dude. Um, I promised Brian I wouldn't sing anymore up here. So I pro oh, well. But from an early age, you know, we're taught that there are a couple of topics that are taboo, off limits in conversation. What are they? Politics and religion. Don't go there. And if you ever want to take the air out of a room at a business dinner, just start talking to your colleagues and your, and your clients about Jesus. I mean, just look at the looks on their face when they do that. Trust me, I've done it. It's funny. Um, you know, I was, I was thinking about this and you know one time Bill Anderson will appreciate this because he was there a uh, long time ago I won salesperson of the year at the company I used to work for and the salesperson of the year gets to get its, gets a chance to get up and give a speech so I was called up to speak in front of this group of, I don't know what Bill three or four hundred people probably it seemed like it was that many and I used the opportunity to talk about God and you should have seen it I mean it was like the air went out of the room I mean the plant started wilting and I thought the HR guy was going to like rush me on the stage and like grab the microphone away from me, but it was awesome um, to see the looks on people's faces. But you know, the popular view today is that 
Faith should not extend beyond the privacy of our own home. Or certainly not beyond the privacy of, of, of the four walls of a church building or church sanctuary or a high school auditorium. Faith is seen as something that should be kept private, right? And, and the popular view is that we shouldn't talk about it. So people who openly share their faith or talk about God are often viewed uh, with distrust or disdain. Uh, sometimes they're snickered at. Uh, sometimes they're, they're made to feel like they have lower intellectual ca capacity than other people that are more enlightened uh, than we are. Um, but why is faith such a polarizing issue? Uh, you know, I was, thought, I was thinking about this, and I just think about, you know, it's our society. Western society really has this value on the individual and on personal freedom. And there's no question that, that respect for the individual and freedoms that we have are great things. I mean, those are things we should celebrate in our democratic society. But when freedom and personal rights are taken to the extreme, people begin to think that it's a violation of their rights when they're confronted with the truth that they don't like. And our culture generally believes that it's up to each individual. It's each individual's right to determine their version of the truth. And this casual relationship with the truth is really nothing new. I mean, even in the first century, the Apostle Paul, you know, talked to his young apprentice. He wrote to his young apprentice, Timothy, about this tendency to ignore the truth or disregard the truth. Uh, if we go to the next slide, Fidel. So Paul writes, preach the word, Timothy. Be prepared in season and out season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come. When people will not put up with sound doctrine, instead to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn away from the truth and turn aside to myths. So, you know, Paul was talking about this time that was going to come when people wouldn't listen to the truth. And you know what? I think that time's here. I think it's been here for a while. Because today there are plenty of people who will believe only what suits their desires. And that includes oftentimes you hear this morphing of God into something that's more palatable. How many times have you heard, well, I'd never believe in a God that allows evil to happen in the world? Yeah. Mm -mm. Yeah. I'd never allow a God or believe in a God that doesn't condone premarital sex or same-sex relationships. That's just, I wouldn't believe in that. You know, I wouldn't believe in a God that would actually send people to hell. You know, I, I wouldn't believe in a God that would allow my loved one to die and suffer the way they did when they were such a good person. So in this age of relative truth, it's become more convenient and more comfortable to say, my faith is personal. I don't believe in organized religion. You know, or all faiths go to the higher power in their own way. They're all true. Anything else, you know, is a violation of my rights. And, and you know, what's really kind of behind that is I will believe what I want to believe because that is my right, yeah. <laughs> you know. And that creates this uneasy tension because... We're not supposed to take a hard stand on what we really believe is the truth. We should never challenge someone else on, the, on their version of the truth. So our individual liberties taken too far can cause us to take liberties with God and lose, really kind of lose touch with what's really true. And yet we, we still get glimpses. Uh, next slide, Fidel. We get glimpses that there still is sort of this absolute universal truth out there somewhere deep in the recesses of our modern Western conscience, you know, uh, because we're collectively outraged when we see atrocities like the trafficking of children for sex or, 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 or shooting innocent people at a concert or at a school or, or, or systematic lies to defraud people or to gain power 
or, or deliberately flying commercial aircraft into a crowded office building and killing thousands of people. I mean, something in our corporate conscience tells us these things are absolutely evil. Yeah. I mean, just imagine if I were to say, in, in my personal truth paradigm, I was to say, well, in my version of the truth, slavery and sexual ex exploitation of children and, and murder and hate crimes, those are all good things. We'd be outraged by someone who said something like that. Certain things are just considered universally evil. But if there are universal truths, where do they come from? You know, who puts the sense of right and wrong on our corporate heart? I mean, could there actually be one God who, who puts this universal truth on our heart? That's certainly what the Bible suggests. Um, in Romans 1, Paul says, next slide, please. Fidel, wake up. Um, sorry, I don't have the clicker. I was supposed to do a hand signal, so Fidel, I'll go like this. Okay? So, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who do what? Who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. So even though people try to suppress the truth, and even though the truth may be inconvenient, in the words of Al Gore, <laughs> that truth doesn't change. God has made his truth clear so that people are without excuse. And if you admit that there are universal truths or even universal evils out there, then you're immediately contradicting the idea that truth is a personal thing that you can determine by yourself. I mean, how can you say, well, if truth is universal, then how can the truth also be personal? <laughs> See the contradiction? So our Western obsession with the individual, this, this idea that everything is my right and what I want to believe is, it's kind of crept into modern Christianity as well. Where you often hear that it's all about your own personal relationship with Jesus. And there's many churches today, not, not ours, but many will teach that all you got to do is invite Jesus into your heart and say a personal prayer to him on your own. And then you're automatically born again. Your own personal Jesus, right? It's, oh, sorry, I can't help it. <sighs> the Spirit just overcomes me. Uh, yes, a Spirit. So you could be you could be born again according to the teaching today. You could be born again just by saying a prayer. Maybe you're alone in your car on the in the four or five freeway at four or five in the afternoon. You say this prayer. Jesus comes into your heart. And then you're saved. And then it's up to you on your own to grow on your faith, on your terms, at your own pace, to find a church that meets your individual needs, and to find a pastor that you like that feeds you spiritually. But just a, a quick glance at the New Testament will tell you that this, this modern version of personal Christianity is really, really far from what Jesus actually taught. So today I'm just going to hit three things, as I always do in my sermon, so you know where I'm going. <laughs> First thing I'm going to talk about is just a few iterations of this personal faith myth and what the Bible has to say about each of them. Secondly, I'm going to have us do just a real quick faith self-assessment to determine where you are in your faith. And then we'll just talk about what if. What if we do follow God's design for truth uh, and for faith? What should we expect? 
Let's pray as we get started. God, thank you for the opportunity to look at your word. Uh, thank you that we have the opportunity to talk about these topics that can be difficult topics to address, God, but they need to be. And Father, there is truth out there. You want us to know the truth, and the truth will set us free, as Jesus said. So I just pray that today the scriptures speak to us, your spirit speaks to us, and we go away encouraged that, that, that faith is meant to be lived out in a family, not in a personal room by ourselves. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. It's been interesting to me over the years that some of the people who I've met who dismiss Christianity have not actually studied the Bible in depth to understand what, what this God of ours is all about. I mean, and, and maybe you're in that camp. Maybe you don't yet trust the Bible is the absolute truth. And that's, that's okay to be there. You know, that's a separate sermon for a different day. But if you do fall under that category and you're still unsure about the validity of the Bible, I do encourage you to actually look deeply in what the Bible actually says. Um, because then you can at least have an informed opinion about what it means to be a follower of Christ or what the Bible calls a disciple of Jesus. And, you know, the Bible does say that faith comes from hearing the word. And so any member of our church was willing to sit down with you if you're interested in this and doing a, a personal Bible study series with you. Or we'll help show you what Jesus is all about and what he offers you. So please talk to your, your neighbor who invited you, go out to our table. We'll get you connected in those studies if you want to do that, uh, which we highly recommend. I think everybody here has gone through those. But Let's begin today by just looking at a few of these statements that you hear about personal faith. And I'll call them the personal, the, the personal faith myths and, and what the Bible has to say about each. So the first personal faith myth is, I will find the higher power in my own way. I believe there's a higher power, but I'm going to find it in my own way. In other words, many believe that it's up to me to find God on my own. But the Bible, the, guy, the, the God of the Bible, rather, the, the God of the Bible does not wait for you to find him. He finds you. I mean, he's a relational God who created you in his image to be joyfully together with him. And you can read in the first few chapters of Genesis in the Bible how God created man and woman to be with him in the garden in the beginning. But their decision you know, to sin really separated them from God. And Adam and Eve were removed from God's presence. And the whole narrative of the Bible after that is really God finding a way to be reunited with his children. And that story culminates with God sending his son to earth to find his lost children. And so Jesus created this path for God to be reunited with his children forever, and God seeks us out. <laughs> it's not the other way around. In Matthew 1, um, an angel appears to Joseph, who's engaged to Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the angel says to Joseph, he says, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And he, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. So Jesus came to us as Emmanuel, Emmanuel, God with us. And if you're looking for God, you need look no further than Emmanuel, the one that God sent to find us. And when Jesus left the earth, he commissioned his followers, who he called his disciples, to go out as ambassadors and take him to all the nations. As we see in Matthew 28, a scripture many of us have memorized. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit, Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded, and surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. What Jesus said before he went back to heaven. So Jesus' plan is for his disciples to make more disciples. Faith in Jesus is to be spread through personal relationships with one another. Jesus never intended for people to find him on their own. There's nothing personal at, about his plan at all. I mean, Jesus came in search of mankind, and he sends his disciples to find you. And Jesus doesn't say, hey, just say this prayer in your car on the 405 freeway, and you'll be saved. 
You know, that's an invention of our individualistic culture. You know, as I was growing up as a boy, you know, I tried really hard to understand Christianity. I really did. I mean, my mom did her best. She, she took me to Sunday school. And I remember it was good because I learned some of those basic Bible stories when I was a kid. But unfortunately, in rural Iowa, in a town of 300 people, there really aren't a lot of church options. So my mom did the best she could. But, you know, later I remember after I was a little bit older, I, my, my grandparents took me to this revival meeting at a football stadium. And I remember the preacher was up there and he asked to have everybody come down. He's like, if you believe you want to pray Jesus, come on down. So we came on down and did this prayer, you know, where we prayed Jesus into our heart. And I was supposed to be saved at that moment, but I didn't really feel any different. But it was exhilarating for a few seconds. And then I was later confirmed into this denominational church. And after all of that, I still really had no idea what it really meant to follow Jesus in retrospect. I mean, it was, it was very evident that I didn't know by my sinful lifestyle, that I didn't understand what it meant to follow Jesus. It wasn't really until later in my life when I met a disciple of Jesus who met me at work and invited me to her church community that she was part of. And they offered to study the Bible with me. And I learned in the Bible what it really means to follow Christ. And God reached out to me at just the right time, not the other way around. He wasn't waiting for me to find him or I never would have, it never would have happened. I mean, he used Mia Randolph to bravely reach out to me, who a few years later became my beautiful wife. But I never would have come to true faith on my own. I mean, Jesus found me and he used his disciples to do it. I mean, so it's not, it's not something we find on our own. The second personal faith myth, hey, that's great Jesus has found you, Mark, but I believe there's many ways to God. You know, I just have to believe that all faiths lead to a higher power in their own way. Have you heard that before? Yes. Certainly a convenient belief. I mean, you won't offend anyone if you believe that. Uh, but unfortunately, it's not logical, nor is it biblical. Um, as it says uh, in John 14, 6, which John, uh, John, Brian had us memorize this last week at the Luau. It says what? I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's what Jesus said. I am the only way to get to God. He also said later in John 8, he says to the Jews who had believed in him, he said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So the truth that sets you free comes from Jesus. Not from Muhammad, not from Buddha, right. not from Mary, not from the Pope, not from Hindu deities or anywhere else. So believing that all faiths lead to God, it's also not logical. <laughs> I mean, most of the major religions today claim exclusivity. In other words, Islam believes they're the only way to Allah. You know, Jews believe they have to be Jewish to be one of God's chosen people. The Christians believe that Jesus is the only way. So when you state that all religions are true, you're actually contradicting what each religion says about itself. It's not logical conclusion to say they're all right, because they can't be all right. They contradict one another. <laughs> So I developed that idea further in the sermon I did last year, don't all religions believe the same thing, which you can get on our podcast. But the next myth that I want to address is, hey, you know, I'm a good person. God's got my back. He's going to accept me. I'm good enough. He knows my heart. And that view is very, very common today. Very common. If you've been to a funeral recently, you've probably heard something like that. You know, I mean, he's in a better place now. You know, he's basically a good person. And that's a comfortable conclusion, but it directly contradicts the word of God. You know, in my experience, people just seem hardwired with this mentality that they have to work to get God's acceptance. You know, if I just work hard enough, he will accept me. If I do enough good things, he will accept me. But how will you ever know when you're in that mindset, how will you ever know if you've worked hard enough? Right. You know, in the Bible, you, you, you see that the whole reason Jesus came to earth was because you and I on our own will never be able to rack up enough points with God to make things right from him. Our sins separate us from God. And the, we can't be in his holy presence without a savior. 
you know, there's a, there's a price that has to be paid. And so Romans 3 sums it up perfectly where it says no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law or by doing good things. Rather, the, through the law, we've been conscious of our sin. Now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. Righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. For what? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So, following the rules, being a good person, basically doing the right thing, those things are not enough. They're never going to be enough. We need a savior to be made right before God. And so being just a good enough person on your own is not going to save you. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Next faith, last faith I'll address is, okay, Mark, great. I'll take Jesus, sounds good. But I want nothing to do with your organized religion. That's a common buzz, buzz phrase these days. Nothing with your organized religion. But a lot of people that say that, they really have been hurt in some way by, by the corporate church in the past. They've, they, 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 um, unfortunately, people that do call themselves Christians do still sin against one another. And, and there's many grievous sins that have been committed in the name of Christendom over the centuries. We all know that. But even so, trying to be a follower of Christ on your own outside of a church family is absolutely not what Jesus intended. You know, Ephesians 2, Paul's addressing the Christians when he says, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as a chief cornerstone. So when you become a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Christ, you become a member of his family, his household. And Jesus wants us to experience him in God's family. And so the Bible also calls it the body of Christ. The apostle Paul often uses the analogy of the human body to describe the church. In 1 Corinthians 12, it says, even so the body is not made up of many parts, but of many. If the, put, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. So believing you can be a Christian on your own outside of the church is like the foot saying, I'm not part of the body. You know, the foot can say that, but the, the, the foot may even sincerely believe that, but that doesn't make it true, okay, because we need one another. The body of Christ is a family, which, you know, every single person has an important function. Yeah. Everyone is needed. Every one of you is needed. Every one of you has a special set of gifts to build up the body of Christ. Yeah. And, you know, I've thought about this. You know, today's, we've become a very mobile society, haven't we? I mean, we move away from our extended family. You know, many of us have moved away from our family. We've moved across the country for careers. And, and, and we may only see our, our parents and our grandparents and our aunts and uncles maybe once or twice a year if we're lucky. I mean, my, I'm in that camp. My wife's in that camp. We just went and saw her family in Florida who we hadn't seen for almost three years. So, so we're losing touch with the role, I think, that, that the extended family has played in our world for thousands of years. There's something special about a child who, who regularly interacts with his grandparents and his aunts and his uncles and his cousins. And historically, you know, raising a child wasn't just done by the parents alone. Right. It was done by the extended family, by the community. Yep. You know, we think that this idea of living across the country from our family is actually normal, but it's actually a very recent phenomenon of the last few decades. book I've been reading um, called Joy Starts Here by James Wilder. There's a little excerpt that really struck me. Um, if you go to the next slide, Fidel. <laughs> All right. It takes no imagination at all to see the difference between our world and the world 100 years ago where families ate together and spent much of their time in the same room. It was a world where relatives lived nearby. The cloud did not exist. 
People spent most of the waking day interacting with people face to face. The older people made themselves useful around the home and community by watching children, keeping gardens, doing crafts repairs, by entertaining others with stories. The old and young were constantly interacting in ways that used relational brain skills. The children picked up the skills just by being around them all the time. No interactions were interrupted by a text message from the cloud. So with the breakdown of our extended family, you can understand that more than ever, the church should play the extended family role that God always intended for us to have. The church should be an extended family where, where spiritual parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins and children are all living together. Not necessarily in the same house, but we're close by each other. We're loving each other. I don't call that organized religion. I don't call that organized religion. I call that the family of God. You know, or faith family or the body of Christ, whatever you want to call it, is not organized religion. And families are messy, right? They're messy. I know, personally, you all, a lot of you know that. But you know what? God knows we need them. And so uh, they're so messy, I've actually heard some rumors. I don't know if this has been confirmed yet, but there are some empty nesters who want to have their own mission point without children. Oh, I've heard that. Yep. And I can empathize because uh, kids, kids can be pretty crazy. <laughs> you know, it gets pretty chaotic with kids in the mix. But segregating our spiritual family by age misses the whole point. I mean, teens, we need you in our small groups. We do. We need you in our small groups. Parents, you need to get your kids with more mature adults. Empty nesters, your work isn't done yet. I'm sorry. Our youth needs you. I'm lucky I got a few guys on my mission point that are engaged with my kid in that level. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so God knows. He knows we need family. We need multi-generational family, even though families are very messy at times. So the Bible's view of faith here is, is so far from what people believe today, and it's so far from something personal or private. The God of the universe wants a relationship with us, and that God, like any other, unlike any other was willing to become a man and to die like a criminal on a cross, as Owen talked about. You know, he's willing to give up his spirit to live inside of us, to show us how to live. His plan is for his disciples to teach that faith to all nations through personal relationships. True faith isn't something you can just download from the cloud and just bypass people in the process. True faith is meant to be lived out in a spiritual family, which represents all walks of life, all generations. As we experience the joy of that community, we are to leave our old lives behind and devote ourselves to loving and serving one another and helping other people become part of this amazing body of Christ. There's nothing personal about the faith that Jesus instituted. It all hinges on love and relationships for God and for each other. So if you're just checking out this whole church thing, you might be thinking, well, that's a great overview. Thank you very much. But how's that working for you in real life? <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, we have a lot of people here that are longtime members of the church. You might be saying, right on, Mark. Yeah, you're preaching what I believe. You know, <laughs> we're good. <laughs> yeah, that's why I keep coming to church on Sundays, you know, because you preach, we preach, we hear these truths I got to be reminded of. But, but what if this myth of personal faith that we've talked about has actually crept into South Bay Church no. among God's family? What if? And I have to say what's on my heart because I'm concerned that our individualistic culture can pollute us as Christians. You know, as followers of Christ, we're supposed to feel like aliens and strangers in the world. But I believe there's a real danger that, that church just becomes this entertaining two-hour production on Sunday morning rather than a lifestyle. 
We can become like spectators at a sporting event. But would an objective third-party spectator of your life, would they say that your Christianity is just a Sunday morning thing? Or is it a lifestyle? You know, I'm concerned that in spite of our lifestyle, we, we can sometimes take too much pride. Too much pride that we have all the right doctrine, all the right beliefs. But doesn't the Bible say that how we live is just as important as what we believe? I mean, Jesus said in Matthew 24, he warned, he said, because of the increase in wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. He says later, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, um, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Test yourselves. Do you not realize Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? So let's just do a quick self-examination in the spirit of what Paul is saying here. Uh, to see if our faith looks like what Paul just talked about. So, and the caveat here is, is not to make you feel guilty. That's not the point of this. It's not to feel you under, make you feel under compulsion, you know, to do anything. We live the Christian life because God loves us, right? That's why we do it, not to earn God's love. We've talked about that. But even so, it's still healthy to examine ourselves as the Bible talks about. Are you responding to the love of God in the right way? So get out a piece of paper, if you have one, or use your your electronic device, or it's on the notes if you're following along on the app. And there's going to be eight questions that we're going to ask one another, ask ourselves, actually. So first of all, we said that we are the created. We have, the, we have a creator. We can't morph God into something that we think is more comfortable for us. Knowing God then requires us to spend time with him every day. So how is it going in your relationship with God? So question number one, and the way it works is you just, if you, if you go to the next slide, if you uh, are the first one, you just say one point. If you're the second one, two points or three points. So every, every, every question, there are any questions, you'll just say right, how many points you have. So the first question, again, I rarely spend time with God in prayer, the Bible. Or I sometimes spend time with God in prayer in the Bible. Or I spend quality time with God every day. One, two, or three points. Write it down. Next question, number two. I rarely hear the Holy Spirit. I sometimes hear the Holy Spirit. Or three, I listen to the Holy Spirit every day and I write down what I'm hearing. Okay, so that's the first section of questions. The next slide, please. So let's talk about our relations. We said that faith is be, to be lived out in God's family, you know, and that each of us is part of the body of Christ. So how's it going with your relationships in the church? So question number three, I rarely encourage other Christians. <laughs> number two, I, or I sometimes encourage other Christians or I encourage other Christians daily. Next question, I rarely participate in my small group, which we call mission point groups. I sometimes participate, or I rarely miss the chance to participate in my small group. And then lastly, Sunday is usually the only day I meet with other Christians. Or I sometimes meet with other Christians during the week, or I always meet with other Christians during the week. One, two, or three points. Okay, then last set of questions, the Bible says that we're to make more disciples. That's what disciples do. We're entrusted with that important task of bringing Jesus to the world around us. So how's it going in your relationships beyond the church? Would you say that you rarely tell others about what Jesus has done in my life? I sometimes tell Jesus, tell others what Jesus has done in my life, or I will tell anyone who will listen what Jesus has done in my life. Next question, I rarely serve others and show them the love of Christ. I sometimes serve others to show them the life of Christ, or I always constantly serve others to show them the love of Christ. And then lastly, I rarely share the Bible or study the Bible with others. I sometimes study the Bible with others, or I'm constantly sharing the Bible with other people. So add up your points out of eight. Okay, how are you doing? 
Are you passing the test? A perfect score would be 24. If there's any 24s, a chariot's going to come down and sweep you up and whisk you off to heaven. So you get a gold star from God. But don't get too fixated on your score here, okay? It's not your score that makes you righteous. It's the grace of Jesus. But since we are the body of Christ and we are here to build one another up and we are supposed to examine ourselves, a next logical step would be to talk to your mentor, your spiritual mentor, what we call a discipling partner, or talk to your spouse who knows you really well if you're married, and ask them for your perspective, for their perspective on your score. This is what I scored myself. How would you rate me? You know, where do you see that I could respond in a better way to the love of Jesus? That will be a fun exercise. But here's the point. As Christians, you have the greatest news in the history of the world. You do. You're the child of the living God. You're part of his family. You are his heir. So why would you ever want to keep that amazing treasure to yourself? I mean, why would you ever want to not share that? Are, are you sharing the treasure that you have? Are you enjoying the faith family that God has put you in? Or are you making your faith personal? You know, God's depending on disciples to help all nations to understand his love and to respond to his love. So Jesus said, by what will you know? Next slide, please. By what will you know? What will people know you are his disciple? By your love for one another. Okay, so we can't make our faith personal. There's just too much writing on it. So as I wrap it up, just stop and imagine with me for a moment. What will it look like? What will it look like when every disciple of Jesus here today is following God's design for faith? What would it look like? Just imagine with me that we would all be delighting in the times we have with God every day. And we'd all be growing and maturing spiritually. We would all be listening to the Holy Spirit. And we'd all be doing what the Spirit prompts us to do. Each of us would be encouraging other believers on a daily basis. And we'd be receiving encouragement from Christians on a daily basis. Each of us would be in an active mentoring or discipling relationship with another Christian. And, and we would gently and lovingly be helping each other to mature in the faith to be more like Jesus. Our small groups, our mission points would be places of great joy where we just delight to be together. And our mission points would be a safe place where we can be ourselves and we can share our weaknesses. And, and multiple generations would be together and the weak and the strong would be together going through life together. Amen. You know, our friends and our neighbors would see that love and joy in our small groups and they would naturally want to be part of God's family. They'd say, I want that. And we would be sharing with anyone that will listen what Jesus has done in our life and the hope that we have because of him. And we would be showing them in the Bible. We'd be studying the Bible with them to show them what God offers. And we would be ingrained in our neighborhoods, looking for opportunities to bring joy and love of the kingdom of God to the dark world around us. And, you know, worshiping together on Sunday would just be the culmination, the culmination of a week-long life of faith in the body of Christ. And maybe Sunday wouldn't just be a time to clock in and take a seat and run for the door when it's over. Perhaps we could even relax together on a Sunday yeah. <laughs> in a smaller, more intimate group and enjoy each other's company. Yeah. And then we could even invite our friends to come see the love of the disciples. Yeah. Who knows? We could maybe even enjoy a meal together in celebration of the Lord and call it something crazy like communion. <laughs> okay? Yeah. Folks, when we're taking a stand for the truth, you know, when we're living as Jesus taught us to live, and when we're making our faith a lifestyle, not a Sunday event, I believe there's no limit to what God will do with South Bay Church. Because we'll be bringing true joy and true hope and true love 
to the poor souls around us who are being told the lie that their faith should be personal. As for me and my house, we are all in. We are all in. We love Jesus. We want to help others experience how much Jesus loves them. We're taking a stand for the truth. Our faith is public. It is not private. What about you? I mean, what are you going to do? But let's move forward. Whatever we do, let's move forward together as a faith family, shall we? We're family. Let's continue to share the treasure that we have with as many people that will listen. I love you all. Enjoy your Labor Day. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.